Straight Talk Live, exploring human, digital, and social transformations. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. We have another exciting edition this week. I am one of your co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm the CEO of Invisible Edge and the author of Decisive Intuition. And this is one of my very favorite topics around relationships and how do you build relationship capital in a post-pandemic era. And alongside me is my co-host extraordinaire, Af Maholtra. Af, you want to say a few words? Sure, Rick. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining in to yes, another exciting show that we've put together. Lovely to have David Meltzer on the show today. So um, as you guys know, I'm the co-creator of StraightTalk.Live. And for my sins, I've been in the AI and investment uh, space for a number of years and also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. So uh, let's crack on as we always do. I can't wait to hear from what, um, uh, from, from, from Dave around his journey and this topic, which is, um, um, which is urgent and it's, it's uh, important for a lot of our audiences today because of what's happened and is happening during this uh, pandemic situation that we're in. So I would love to just move on and Rick over to you and let's get the conversation going. Thank you. And once again, the whole core of Straight Talk Live is really about human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And if you think about those three topics, one of the core threads of all three of those is relationships. How do you build relationships? Relationships with yourself, with others, with money, with your resources, with your community. And that's really going to be a big focus of our time today here. So I want to introduce our special guest, David Meltzer. And David is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and formerly served as CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which is the inspiration for the movie Jerry Maguire. His life's mission is to empower over 1 billion people to be happy. And this simple yet powerful mess mission has led him on an incredible journey to provide one thing, value. In all his content and communication, that's exactly what you'll receive. As part of the mission for the past 20 years, He's been providing free weekly trainings to empower others, to empower others, to be happy. David, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thanks for having me. What a great opportunity and what a great topic. I'm super excited to be here. You know, I was talking to your assistant, Jake, earlier on the pre-call, and he had mentioned that even though this is one of your favorite topics, you haven't necessarily dived as deep into that in a lot of the podcasts and shows is a specific subject. So I really would love to hit that deeply today is what is relationship capital in your words and why do you care so much about it? Well, you know, let's just start with that idea of relationship, which is the relativity of all things. So a lot of people don't take relativity seriously. So time, the relativity of time, the relativity of others to us and the other relativity is of inspiration. So the first relationship that I'd like to talk about and most significant and the one that people just, I think, ignore is what is your relationship to the most powerful source of light, love, and lessons, right? What is your relationship to the truth, uh, your potential? And that relationship was one that I never looked at until much later in my life. I always say I'm one of the few people that hit rock bottom two years before I lost everything. In 2006, I had found this light, this love, and this lesson through a variety of different experiences. And then in 2008, of course, I lost over $100 million 
although people think that that would be the catalyst in my life, it wasn't at all. It was two years before because of this relationship that I had been ignoring, this relationship not to anyone else or anything or my relationship with money, which we can go into all of those, but it starts with what are you connected to all the time? And mm. I realize that I am connected to this great, powerful source energy light that is just immense. In fact, you know, they have proven that in just my thumb alone, I have enough power to light up all of Manhattan. Mm. And so that really set me on a, a path of like, wait a second, if I have this much power in me, what am I connected to? And how come I'm not using it effectively, efficiently with statistically success, right? And so I had started working on this truth-based consciousness and what was creating the interference, what was creating the corrosion, the voids, the shortages and obstacles between me and that relationship. And what I found, it was ego, right? Mm -hmm. So I became a student of that ego-based consciousness, being aware of the needs that I had that created these interferences before I could go ahead and have that relationship next with myself. And then after myself became the relationship with everything else. That's powerful. Um, and I relate to this hundred percent where, you know, what is my own relationship between self and self first and self and life and that life force that you're speaking to. And if I, if I'm disconnected there, anything downstream from that is going to show up as disconnect as well. Hmm. Yeah, and dissipated in energy, right? And diluted and uninspired. And, you know, that whole idea of motivation, conversion, and inspiration that confuses so many people because they feel that they're searching for motivation. Motivation only gets you up, gets you back up, gets you started, gets you back started. It's going to suck your soul dry. Fear can motivate you, but fear is a soul sucker, right? And what we want to do is teach people to utilize motivation hopefully in a positive respect, but even if it's through fear, we want to convert that motivation into this inspiration, into the ability to focus in on clearing the connection to what we're always connected to and we're all connected to. I want to jump in on one more question with that and then I want to turn it over to Af. I know he's got several as well. Um, so you were, just to get even more practical with this now in, in real time, You've been working in the sports agency world, marketing world. You've been dealing with a lot of big egos, I'm sure, and celebrity status and all of that stuff. How have you, what did that prepare you for? How did you navigate all of that? Because you're talking a lot about ego versus something bigger than that that's more connected. How have you had to deal with that with the celebrity world? And I'd love to hear any stories around that. Absolutely. So, you know, my own journey I always say we're three worlds of journey that are truly applicable to the huge egos that exist in sports, entertainment, business, all the areas in which I've been able to excel at the highest level. I was born into the world of not enough. I had a single mom, six kids. She worked two jobs, packed my dinner in a paper bag with my siblings. You know, I grew up in a world where I was a victim, where everything happened to me. And no matter what I would have in my life, I was always looking, why do they have that? Why don't I have this? I, I was a, a why me person, not a try me person. And when I graduated law school and made my first million dollars to buy my mom a house and a car, mm -hmm. the, when I graduated, I moved into this world from a world of not enough into the world of just enough. And the world of just enough is an egotistical world where there's just enough for me. And it's amazing because I have friends who have $40 million homes that still live in a world of not enough and just enough. Uh, in the world of, of just enough, people buy things to make them happy, uh, buy things thinking it'll get them love. They buy things that they don't need. 
They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. And this was the world that I lived in when I ran the most notable sports agency in the world, when I ran the world's first smartphone, when I was a multimillionaire in my 20s, and we sold our first company in 95 for 3.4 billion, and I raised hundreds of millions of dollars, and everything was Midas touch, money-oriented. I had a big belief, and it was reaffirmed with everything I did, money bought love and happiness. And that all, like I said, had a shift in the paradigm that I, I even my philanthropy was uh, miscued, meaning so mm -hmm. many people believe the more you give, the more you get. Everything was a trade, a negotiation. For me, it all shifted to the more I could receive from this great source, by the way, the more I was receiving from this great source, the more I could give which then, like you said, until I could establish that relationship and build and enhance and accelerate that relationship between me and that great source and me and myself, I was only diminished in capacity of how I could help other people. Dave, you touched on, can I just go back to what you were saying? Cause um, it's fascinating. So you touched on your, your, your mother and you came from a world where you had five other siblings. I guess you're the sixth one and there wasn't enough. And this concept of enough has been plaguing at least our generation and some of the baby boomers for a long while. I noticed that the younger generation, the millennials or the, even the gen alpha that's still, we're still grooming them. I have a daughter, she's 21 months old. She's gonna be too soon. I, I don't know, I don't know how she's gonna operate. I have to really upgrade my skills. All of my skills are redundant really in terms of managing her and that's gonna be fascinating. But I just think about generational development and I think about uh, the closer connection with spirituality and self-actualization. What is your view on, uh, two questions. One, I wasn't able to understand what was the trauma or the shift or the trigger that took you away from and made you realize, holy shit, you know, what the hell have I been up to? And I had all of the material success and everything you've described, of course, is, is, comes with it. And then what made you say no more? Uh, that's the first question. And then the second question is a little bit more related to um, young people and how hopeful or disenchanted, whatever it may be, are you around the future of more and more um, of the next generation being wired in the way you've just described that you, you may have discovered later on in your life, but we hope that the youngsters will get this at a much younger age. So two parts to it, but the first one will be really intriguing. What was your trigger? Yeah, so there's th three lessons, three triggers for me that brought me to, you know, huge quantum shift. The first was when I was 30 years old. Uh, I had married my dream girl from the fourth grade. My best friend had asked her to go study uh, with me in sixth grade camp. Uh, he embarrassed me. He yelled to me, no, she told me, ask, ask yourself. She's not going to go study with you. And I threw an egg at her. And anyway, it was the final confirmation that money bought love and happiness, that the girl who hated me through elementary, junior, high school, high school, even college, you know, stayed away from me, terrified. The girl who skateboarded by my house in the fourth grade when I moved from Akron, Ohio to San Diego, should somehow give her life to me as, as a full partner. It must have been the money, right? It, and so everything around me multi-millionaire at 30. I was running uh, Samsung's phone division, the world's first smartphone, uh, you know, working with Gates, win Windows device. They don't have Windows C anymore. Well, on my 30th birthday, newlywed, I, I got a beautiful uh, present from my father. Now, my father had left when I was five. When he left, he was my hero. 
My dad uh, was a deadbeat dad, uh, very wealthy, never gave any child support, married a girl closer to my age than his, drove a convertible Cadillac, raced horses, trained them, owned them, and harnessed horses, very good looking, charismatic. And to me, he was my hero, but at 10 years old, he made a really bad mistake. And in fact, I have some serious guilt issues still because I used to sit in the back of that station wagon and ask my mom, hey, how come you can't be more like dad? You know, and like literally, because I'm, you know, a little kid, I have no idea. Anyway, my dad forgets my birthday at 10, which is bad enough, but then he lies to me. He said, I don't, I didn't forget your birthday. I don't believe in birthdays. But meanwhile, he was celebrating his birthday, his wife's birthday, my sibling's birthday. I was smart enough to know that my dad was a liar a cheater, a manipulator, overseller, back-end seller. And I hated my father. He went immediately on my 10th birthday from hero to zero. And I lived the last 20 years resenting him, offended by him, hating him for being that person. At 30, I get this beautiful birthday present from him. I put it on. It's a beautiful jacket, a sport coat. And I start to cry. My wife said, why are you crying? I said, because it fits perfectly. That means he called so he actually cared, mm. you know, and so I look into it to see if it says especially made for your birthday or Neiman Marcus or, you know, what was it, Armani? Mm. And he had torn all the pockets and lining out of the jacket. I immediately go into ego-based consciousness. I'm so mad. I call him, dad, why are you punishing me? I said, what are you talking about? I said, you give me a, a present I can't even wear. He said, because it's not for wearing. I said, why would you give me a present after 20 years I can't use? He said, well, you can use it. It's to remind you you're just like me. And I don't want you to make the same mistakes I've made. I said, I'm nothing like you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, back-end seller. I'm nothing like you. I hate you. He said, son, he said, money does not buy you love. It will not buy you happiness. You cannot be the richest man in the cemetery. Don't make the same mistake that I made. Don't do it please listen to me. I apologize. I, and I was at 30 years old, not ready to hear it. Mm-hmm. I hung up on to him. I told him to F off. I hung off. I told my wife I hated him. Six, seven years later, I am running Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Everything in my life reaffirmed money, bought love and happiness. I was surrounded by the richest, most successful people, the biggest events, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, Masters, Kentucky Derby, all anything I wanted, I could buy. Boats, houses, golf courses, ski mountain, whatever it is I could buy. I go golfing with my best friend, Rob, the guy who asked my wife to go steady at sixth grade camp. And I said, Rob, why don't you come to the Masters with me? We can hang out with Shannon Sharp and Chris Carter and Warren Moon and maybe even get to see Tiger Woods. You know, and he looked at me, he goes, I'm not going there. I said, what do you mean? Why, why wouldn't you want to come to the Masters with me and hang out? He goes, because I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what you guys are doing. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, but I'm not doing what those guys are doing, Rob. And he looked at me and said, you could lie to yourself. You could lie to me, but don't lie to yourself, David, please. I'm not going. I left there crying. Hmm. Two weeks later is when my life would change. I went to the Grammy Awards with a guy named Little John. Uh, He's a rapper, fairly Hmm. famous now. Mm -hmm. And I lied to my wife. I told her I was going to a business meeting. We had three daughters at the time under 10. She thought I was partying too much. She wanted me to stay home with the kids. I lied to her, changed clothes in the car. I came home wasted at 5.30 in the morning and she was waiting for me. Wow. And my wife said for the very first time, she said, I'm not happy, I'm leaving. Hmm. Out of nowhere. 
And I'm looking at her going, are you kidding me? We have a live-in nanny. We have a Ferrari, a Porsche, a motorhome, a boat. What, what, are you, what are you talking about? How dare you? How dare you do this to me? You're not happy? How, how, but money buys love and happiness. How dare you say that to me? And I was so offended. I went to bed so mad. I woke up even madder. And all I could think about is how I was going to take her happiness and her love. I was going to take the houses, the cars. I was going to take all the money. I, you know, my law degree. I was going to call my most shrewd divorce lawyer I could. Mm -hmm. And then my life changed. You asked the great question, Ah. My life changed because I looked over into the closet and there it was. I can't even tell the story still today without choking up that jacket. It was like, you know, that book on the shelf you haven't seen in 20 years. It just tells you, you got to read me. That jacket just called out to me and said, Hey, you are a liar. You are a cheater. You are a manipulator, a back end seller and an overseller. You are just like your father. Everything you hate about your father, you hate about yourself. And my wife came in and said, you better take stock in who you are and what you want to become or you're going to end up dead. And that's when I did. I started taking stock in who I was. I came up with four values that I had lost. Gratitude, I had lost my perspective. I would lost the ability to find the light, the love and lessons and everything. I lost my forgiveness to give me peace. I had no peace in my life at all. I was so unforgiving of myself. Accountability. I forgot to ask myself, what did I do to attract all this to myself? And what am I supposed to learn from it? And then this idea of relationship capital, inspiration, effective communication that we're dealing with today. I was going to live from now on, instead of living in that world of not enough or just enough, I was going to change and live in the world of more than enough. I was going to live in a world of more than enough of everything for everyone, where it comes through me with appreciation, forgiveness, and accountability to add my value to it and give it away. I was going to give my life away from now on. And my goal, talk about relationship capital, was to empower a thousand people like you two that I know in my lifetime will empower a thousand people to empower a thousand people simply to be happy. Not to buy it, but to be happy, to live their life through those four values. And that was exactly what occurred. Those three things changed my life. That is incredibly powerful. And um, thank you so much for sharing that. What I feel in that, David, is one of the keys to relationship capital is that we have to reckon with our own shadow. We have to look in the mirror. And if we're not willing to do that, we're not in relationship with our real authentic self. And then we're just running from that egoic, you know, shallow, whatever that is, um, being driven by not our healthiest motivations, let's say, right? Our dysfunctional, whatever that might be. So just the courage that it takes, right? The courage that it takes to look in the mirror. How, how do you help people do that when you see those big egos around you now even who are chasing the boats and the big car garages and all these kind of things? How, do you, like I know some, some coaches are more coming from the perspective of I can only help people when they want to be helped. Um, and it's not my job to, you know, force my perspective on somebody. How do you hold that with those around you today? So, you know, number one, illuminate my own stories, illuminate my own lessons, you know, have radical humility in the fact that 
I know that if somebody would have told me years ago that I would have to even tell Lee Steinberg or Warren Moon that I lost everything, let alone my mom. And let me just tell you how humbling it is not only to lose everything, but to have to tell, you know, the guy who hired you because he's t telling his athletes and celebrities that you're Midas and you're going to take care of their money because 75% of athletes and celebrities lose all their money. But worse, imagine telling your Jewish mom that you lost everything, who your whole life says doctor, lawyer, or failure, but even worse, you know, the only reason you wanted to be rich in the first place was to buy your mom a house and a car. And mm -hmm. I forgot to take my mom's house out of my name. So I had to tell her not only I went bankrupt, but I lost her house and she had to move. Talk about humbling. Mm -hmm. So using stories and lessons to help people. Um, and I teach what's called a ferocious Buddha, which is a practice. Um, and the idea of it is number one, all I teach people is let's start identifying what your ego is. Let's start identifying the needs that you have, the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be separate, uh, the need to be inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, you know, worried, uh, resentful. These are all needs of the ego. And if I can first teach you to one, just identify it, right? Then illuminate and then be ferocious about stopping when you're in ego-based uh, consciousness, then teaching the Buddha side to find your peace, to be neutral, to maybe meditate. You know, th that takes a lot more. But if I can inch by inch teach them to raise their awareness, their elevation, their vibration in order to effectuate being aware, because the biggest and most courageous thing that I do in my life uh, and the thing that I'm most proud of is to stop accelerating in the wrong direction to get out of my, it, it is so challenging. And if I have three minutes, I'd love to share a story that I share with my executive clients, which are celebrities, athletes, entertainers, and some of the billionaires on earth are my clients. And this story changes their life because it shows the subtlety of what we do to ourselves. Now, I'm gonna teach a lesson while I do it as well about routine. So I know there's a lot of people, you've gotta have a routine in life. I believe you have to have two routines a set routine and an adaptable routine when things don't go as planned. You know, you, you have a bachelor party, you think people are in town, you gotta have an adaptable routine based off of your values. My adaptable routine is a minimum of an hour a day on my health, a minimum of 30 minutes a day with my wife, a minimum of 30 with my 10 year old son, a minimum of two minutes a day with my three teenage daughters. I asked for five, by the way, AF, uh, they gave me two. And then a minimum of one <laughs> minute a day, a minimum of one minute a day for my mom, and if you want a good relationship with your parents, all you got to tell them every day is you're happy, you're healthy, you love them and appreciate them. Write down those four things. You tell your parents that every day, your relationship will be golden. I guarantee it. And then, of course, I spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day being a student in my calendar. Well, anyway, I normally wake up at four. I meditate for 20 minutes, get ready, go to the gym at 4.30. One Saturday, I'm leaving for the gym at 4.30 at my highest frequency, my, my top of the top energy level. And I walk out and my 17-year-old daughter's car is missing. I immediately go into ego-based consciousness. Mm -hmm. I'm calling her and dialing her. And I'm about to say, where the F is your car? Where the F are you? And then I stop. I'm, wait a second stop. And this, this takes a lot of ferociousness, but I stop, I breathe, I get to center and I ask myself, why are you so angry? And I realize I'm not angry. I'm scared. I'm scared. Something has happened to the most important persons, right? The person mm -hmm. I'm responsible for, and I'm terrified. Why am I going to scream at her? Mm -hmm. I, I just want to know if she's okay. 
So now in the truth consciousness, I call and my daughter answers. It's 4.30 a.m. Hello? Hey, where are you? I'm in my bed. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, dad. Oh, where's your car? Oh, dad, you told me when kids were drinking that I should leave my car in Uber home. We were at the grocery and kids were drinking. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Thank, thank you. Uh, anything I can do, I'm sorry for waking you. No, daddy, I love you. I love you too. Now, yeah. that, that seems to most billionaires and athletes and celebrities at first a, a little bit insignificant. And then I tell them this. Imagine if I would have called them in the consciousness that most people live. Where the F are you? I'm in my bed. Where the F is your car? Well, your kids were drinking, dad, and you told me to Uber home. You, you were drinking. You were drinking. You're going to lose your car. You're going to lose your phone. You're in so much trouble. Dad, that's not fair. I'll tell you fair. But I, I hate you, dad. <sighs> now they're starting to understand the difference. But even worse is when I tell them, what happens next time kids are drinking? My daughter decides, I don't want to be in trouble with my dad. I don't want to lose my car. Mm. I don't want to lose my phone. I'm going to drive home. And in an instant of ego, her life could change. My life, my family's life, or even worse, somebody else's life may be literally changed and upside down, all because of what? Ego-based consciousness. The ability not to stop, drop, and roll when your mind, body, and soul is on fire. And this happens every day. People find themselves so far off of their trajectory because of a subtle, simple choice of understanding what we're here to talk about, that connection to the truth, to your potential. Are you able to clear the connection that you're already connected to, to lessen the interference, the corrosion, the voids, the shortages and obstacles, the accelerant in the wrong direction? That is the classic example of what we're here today when we're talking about relationship capital. What is your relationship, your relationship with yourself and the truth so that it allows you now to come through you to others. I strengthened the bond in relationship with my daughter mm -hmm. because of my relationship with source and with myself. Mm. Dave, fantastic. I mean, what a great example and, and a very straightforward, simple one that we can practice and think about the next time we lose control or ego, ego checks in and you've got to say, no, check out fast. And I think it's, it's a great way of doing it. And um, there's one thing I wanted to just probe and touch on, which was related to culture. And, and I don't want to bring in gender into it, but we can, if you wish. I often find that certain cultures, because of history, because of patriarchal or matriarchal systems, or because of some sort of a, a gender hierarchy, often if the man is the center of the house and the stage and brings in the food and keeps everyone ticking, then the, the, the other person, let's say it's a woman for now, your partner is then running the show, doing the operations, right? And there's like this kind of relationship you have. And, uh, it, you know, the challenge with that model is that um, because of that sense of superiority almost that the man is given because, hey, I've got to go to work, you know, I've got to put food on the table. Hey, back to the example you shared with your partner, you said, I've given you this and I've given you the cars and the houses. What, what, what the hell are you talking about? That's, an, that's one end of the spectrum where you're extremely materially successful, right? The other end of the spectrum is, well, it's not about material success anymore. It's just about the standard ego that we have. 
nothing to do with wealth. And sometimes culture perpetuates that. And men are notorious for being more egotistical than women, right? How have you, how do you combat that when you're speaking to people all around the world, money or no money, uh, fame or no fame? And, and how, how are you reading and interpreting that? Do you think it's easier, it's the same, or do you think it's a variable that's very hard to deal with? What should one do about it? Because sometimes it's not to do with mass material gain, it's to do with, look, for generations, my family's been this way. Um, so just shed some light on that if you, if, you, if you would. Yeah, I think looking at the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious continuum itself, that once we come to acknowledgement that we have a certain amount of ideas and people that we come in contact with every day that affect our cellular memory, our conscious memory. Yeah. What we're, you know, our senses can detect at a certain level, although they're faulty, and what our memory can afford us, even though it is even more faulty than our senses. Yeah. Then we have our neural pathways in our mind, 40,000 of the same thoughts that are influenced by the socioeconomic and cultural impacts that we have determinative upon our own experiences. And then even furthermore, which makes it complex, which you're referring to, is the quantum being that we have. The personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions that have been carried down into our DNA, into the epigenetic layer of our DNA as well, but have been carried down from at least four generations. Now I'm a little bit spiritual, so I believe mm -hmm. in millions of lifetimes that has been carried down and inputted into my hard drive, that quantum memory that I carry. So once we acknowledge that we have a conscious, a subconscious, and an unconscious, and each of these have an influence upon our personality traits, our characteristics, obsessions, or addictions, some people may call that our frequency, our vibration, uh, you know, then we can start dealing with the fact that everyone, you know, it's a very common mistake, in my opinion, when people are like, well, men are more egotistical than women. No, no, men have certain ego uh, characteristics, but women have other ego characteristics. And then you can take away the, the gender side of it and just say, uh, male uh, masculine energy has certain ego characteristics in, in female energy, right? Because I carry a, a lot of feminine energy as well uh, as masculine energy. And, mm. and you know, and as we get into transgender and all these things going on, you can start seeing, wow, people are identifying energy now. You know, and, and that we can carry these different energies. The key component to realize is that ego's not just the bravado, I make all the money, you know, the, that, that projection of insecurity. You know, the ego can be the need to worry, mm -hmm. right? the, 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 which is a, a, can be because of the feminine energy of nurturing and taking care of people. They have a, a tendency, people who nurture and take care of people have a tendency to worry more than those people that are hunter-gatherer in the mm -hmm. energy side. And so you can start really indicating that it doesn't matter what, what ego uh, components that you have or, or issues that you have. The key is, can we identify for ourselves according to the energies that we carry, conscious, subconscious, and unconscious energies, can we determine when we're in ego-based consciousness, a need mm -hmm. to be right, a need mm -hmm. to be offended. Look, feminine and ma masculinity, anybody that's driven with a spouse, if you don't believe there's a need to be right, I, I have been in a full on heated argument under a deep stress of taking my first daughter to college and my wife told me the wrong direction 
and it cost me 35 minutes and I wasn't going to be able to get in line to get into the dorms. And next thing I know, I reverted back to that a-hole, the guy mm-hmm. that she saw in the house that she threatened to leave for the first time in 15 years, right? I reverted to that guy because of compressed time and uncertainty. I'm mm-hmm. screaming at her, F you, I should have never been married to you. And I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what Dave Meltzer teaches. That's back to center. That's you're a ferocious Buddha. You're not a ferocious asshole. You're a ferocious Buddha. Mm. Buddhas don't talk this way to people that they love who save their lives, right? And I always tell people all the time because they'll say to me, "So, you know, how how do you stay so centered in this?" I I'm not right. I I'm not. I just get back to center faster than most people now. It used to mm. take me years. Then I got better, and it took me months. Then it took me weeks, then it took me days, then hours, then minutes. Now I usually, 90 some percent of the time, get back to center in moments. But every once in a while, it takes me minutes. And I'm inside my own head speaking about talking to ourselves, Rick and AF. Maybe you guys have done this. I'm literally in an argument with someone that I care deeply about because those are usually the ones that only can set me into a course Mm. of based emotion. And in my head, I'm like, shut up, fool. Stop, stop saying it stop 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 while i'm still talking and, and digging myself deeper and accelerating in the wrong direction i love your <laughs> self-awareness uh david yeah. and to me that's really the key ingredient here is your awareness to be able to track when you're coming from which voice or which persona you know if you're if it's your centered self or if it's a different persona that's out in front and you're able to track that through the work that you've done the inner work that you've done and uh it really shows and i just hope the listeners out there are inspired also by how can they start to tackle and, and unpack some of those personalities in the room, if you mm-hmm. will, so that you know who's on stage at what moment and when it's their time to sit back in the audience, for example. So I really appreciate that. Um, I just want to remind, I know, David, you have to leave at the 45-minute mark, I believe. So I want to remind our audience, if you have any questions, please send those in now and type those into us so we can make sure to get those answered. And I just want to shift really briefly to more of the business space now, David. Uh, obviously, post-COVID, one of the biggest themes that we all are aware of is going remote and having to go remote to do our work. And some businesses are not going back to the office as we all have known in the past. How does relationship capital need to get doubled down and on and, and, re- and built even more solidly in a remote functionality and remote work? What are you seeing out there in the space and what advice do you have for people who are struggling around staying connected to their teams? Yeah, I think it's really important to see how we are connected to others, whether there are team at business or personal relationships, all have changed and will change post-COVID or what I call post-vaccine, because that's when we'll finally have stability. The number one component is to realize that we communicate in four different ways now. One is in person, and obviously that will change in the professional and personal setting. Two, via email, we communicate via email. Three, uh, via the phone, and which I think is one of the most distinguishing areas where people can be trained. I do a toughness and telephone training because I think, you know, coming from the phone background of being a CEO of the first smartphone, that people haven't been able to distinguish between data and voice, and that voice as a vibration, as a frequency, mm-hmm. as an influencer is underutilized, and that people don't pick up the phone enough. Uh, for efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success in communicating internally and externally in our lives. Then finally, you have media, and media consists of radio, print, TV, and social media. The distinction of social media moving forward is that people will realize that Shakespeare, hundreds of years ago, had it right. The whole world is our stage. 
And that statement needs to be put into the context quantifiably as a business tool that the whole world is our stage. So what we do in person, what we do on the phone, what we do via email and in, in, uh, also radio, print, and TV now should be captured, modified, amplified, and perpetuated via social media. That's the aspect of what the social media is. And whether you're remote or sharing an office part-time or full-time or whatever the circumstances may be post-vaccine, I think if people take the perspective and understanding of how we communicate in person, on the phone, via email, and these different types of media, utilizing social media as the world stage, uh, capture, modify, amplify, and perpetuate, they'll be able to maximize the value that they can provide. And more importantly, than maximize the value that they can provide, they can ask for help. The number one thing that I teach beyond gratitude, and I make a big joke with my family and friends that nobody has ever gotten more credit for being either a genius, a world thought leader, all the things that I get credit for now for two simple things. I teach people to say thank you and I teach them to ask. And I have more thousands, thousands of emails of people tell me, you've changed my life. I've made millions of dollars. Thank you so much. I say thank you every day now, or I asked. So it's really funny that when you use that matrix of in-person on the phone via email and media, and you learn to ask and attract via how you can be of service or value, start distinguishing people not as, as gatekeepers, but as sponsors and power sponsors in your life. If you're gonna write down one question to ask, everyone write this down. It's just simply, do you know anyone that can help me? If you're not saying that in person on the phone via email and media mm. every single day, you're making a huge statistical error in your life. You're not giving the right energy and perspective of the connectedness, not only that you have, but what you have to everyone else. Do you know anyone that could help me? Everyone loves to help other people. If you're not asking on average, most people know about a thousand people today. You're making a huge mathematical error in your life. Spot on. There is stay, staying with that thought process and balance and meditation. There's a question from Matteo um, on the bridge here. Uh, let, me, let me play it. Let me repeat it as written. David, interested in your meditation practice, what does it consist of? Changed my life. Uh, my meditation is based off of vibration. It's called Theta, T-H-E-T-A, meditation. The idea is very simply that you can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than you. And I actually was motivated to meditate through a materialistic vision. The woman who taught me, I wasn't interested. She's like, I could teach you to vibrate faster through theta meditation and I can raise your awareness because everything vibrates and you can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than you. And I'm like, I don't care. And then she goes, yeah, but the truth, the truth vibrates the fastest. I can teach you. I'm like, I don't care. And then she said, what if I could teach you to be aware of when to buy or sell? I'm like, oh, I care. <laughs> and so that's what motivated. She, she used my own ego to get me involved, what I call lowering the bar and motivating into converting to inspiration, theta meditation. The idea is simply for 20 minutes a day, a guided meditation to elevate not only my cellular uh, vibration, but internally my entire awareness so that things become simple, not just buy or sell, but things become simple. You were talking, Rick, earlier about my self-awareness and being able to identify as, and it's a practice. Let me just tell you, the biggest problem with meditation is people think, you know, it's not like golf. If you're going to think of anything, meditation is just like golf. 
You cannot go out and get a set of clubs and shoot par. It's going to be the most frustrating thing ever starting to play golf. And for years and years, it might be your lifetime frustration to figure out how to be good at it. That's the same that holds true with meditation. It is a practice to sit in stillness, to raise your awareness. All of these things are a practice. And I laugh at myself. I've been doing it 14 years every day, 20 minutes a day. I laugh at myself when I think back how bad I was you know, 14 years ago sitting there. The only thing I think I was ever worse at when I started was golf. Uh, the only difference is I'm a lot better at meditation today than I am at golf. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Nicely put. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, David, um, we have a few minutes left. Um, anything else that you want to share with the audience that you haven't shared yet that you think people need to hear right now, especially as there's so much anxiety up in the space, civil unrest, um, just it's really a challenging year that we've ever had globally. Um, what, what is, I, I, I could probably imagine, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, what is it that helps you keep recentering? I know meditation has got to be a big piece of that. What else would you uh, want to share with the audience right now about how to stay connected to their relationship capital and what they need to focus on to keep building that with people that they love and trust? Five, five things. I'm going to go down them in the next four minutes. So to help you out, number one, take inventory of your values every day, your personal values, your experiential values your giving values and receiving values. Take inventory and don't be afraid of being a hypocrite. Meaning if you aren't changing your mind, if you're not growing, accelerating, that's a bad thing, right? People are so afraid of saying, I, I didn't know what I didn't know that I changed my mind. Don't be afraid. Take inventory every day of your values and it will help you determine how are your capabilities synergistic or supplementary to the opportunities that are doing well today that are aligned with your personal experiential giving and receiving values. It is a key component to everything to take inventory of that. Two, we talked about asking and attracting. Practice that in person on the phone via email and media. Ask how you can be of service of value, but more importantly, do you know anyone that can help me? Remember, everyone's a sponsor or a power sponsor. There are no gatekeepers. Nobody's trying to stop from helping you. You're making people feel good when they make an investment in you, just as if you feel good when somebody asks you for help and puts you on a pedestal of expertise. Three, didn't get to talk about it, but be a student of your calendar. Study, pay attention to, plus give intention to the coincidences that you want with a lens of productivity. How much value can you provide and accessibility? How accessible am I to others and how am I accessing what I want? And of course, the lens of gratitude, find the light, the love and the lessons. What do we study in our calendar? Study what you have planned, what you don't have planned, the white space, empty space of your calendar and sleep. Sleep's the most underutilized habit that we share eight hours a day. It is the only time when we don't have to fight to clear the connection of our unconscious. Mm -hmm. We are already without ego when we're sleeping. So mm -hmm. suck in and wake up and plateau and grow. Don't live the myth of Sisyphus. You don't have to live your whole life pushing a boulder to the top of the hill all day and night just to wake up in the morning to have it at the bottom of the hill. Plateau mm -hmm. and grow through being a student of your calendar. Number four, easiest, best piece of advice. I always tell people, I don't believe in statistics. In fact, the only statistic I ever knew to be true was 99% of all statistics are made up. But I have found a couple more. Number one, 100% of all short putts in golf don't go in. So that's one thing. But two, 100% of the things you do now get done. The difference between successful, fulfilled, purposeful, passionate, and profitable people is they get stuff done. 
And so if you do it now, you will be exponentially more successful. I promise you. So ask yourself, can I do it now? And if you could do it now, do it. If you can't, put it into that calendar for tomorrow to study and prioritize by what's most important according to your personal experiential giving and receiving values. Do it now. I promise you, your productivity, accessibility, and gratitude will go way up. And then finally, just to conclude, we talked about being a ferocious Buddha. The fifth thing is the practice of my life. It incorporates meditation. It incorporates this idea of stop, drop, and roll when your mind, body, and soul are on fire. Practice ending fear. Practice identifying what fear is for you. Practice stopping when you're in that accelerated state of trajectory in the wrong way. Breathe to get down to center and, and to be a Buddha, to live in neutrality so that you can ferociously move in the right direction, the right trajectory to be of service. And if you do that, you will be one of my 1,000 to empower 1,000 to empower 1,000. That's why I do my trainings every Friday. The replays are on Monday. I have the you know, top entrepreneurial podcast called The Playbook. I love the fact that my training has now become one of the most downloaded of all of the, you know, better than the Ray Lewis's and the Danica Patrick and the Rob Gronkowski's of the world. That humble just training that people want to be happy mm. and empower other people to be happy. Happiness is the greatest disease ever. It spreads simply by witnessing it. It will strengthen you emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, all and financially. It actually will strengthen your immune system so it'll protect you against any other virus ever created. Happiness, people that are happy don't attack others. They don't get sick. It's an amazing thing. Please, if you can, empower yourself and empower others to be happy. Join these guys all the time. I appreciate the opportunity to share whatever experiences and lessons and stories that I've had. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you so much, David. Cosmic mic drop. Thank you for being on Straight Talk Live. Beautiful. And how can people find out about you and your work? Where, where should they go? dmeltzer.com, at David Meltzer. You can email me directly, david at dmeltzer.com, or I even have a text number, 949-298-2905. I get my books for free, my exercises for free, and my trainings are free. Can't beat free. If it's free, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> David, many blessings. I know you have to go. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been an honor and a pleasure. Right back at you guys. I look forward to talking to you guys soon. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, David. Be well. Af and I are going to continue on the show. We still have another 15 minutes just to kind of, we don't actually get to do this ever, is have a no, guest come don't. on and off and then get to, you know, in a way, digest everything in real time. So let's do that, Af. What are you sitting with right now from that? Well, you know what? There's one, one piece that uh, I need to practice myself because the whole point of doing this is to take these lessons from these wonderful people and, and um, inject them into your life, right? And I think that there are three things that I'm recalling right now. The first one is being able to understand, um, become a student of ego in, in, mm. in the sense that you can start to understand when you move away from the center, when you, you're not regulating yourself. Back mm -hmm. to what Lisa Dion was talking about a few sessions ago. I think it happens to the best of us in a situation where we are under stress or we are bound by the tyranny of the clock, as uh, our friend Charles Eisenstein um, talks about and refers to. And I think we need to start to accept and acknowledge that the world and our uh, personal life and our family life and our work life is actually um, changeable and it's within our control to change it. We're not bound 
by the limitations of a bad job or a bad relationship um, or anything for, close to that for that matter. And we are empowered to step away from situations. It's within us to step away from situations that we feel is limiting our potential, causing negativity or holding us back like, like shackles to, mm -hmm. to some extent. And I think um, it feels good to hear from someone like David today, who's talked about his extraordinary journey and, you know, massive glamour and multimillionaire billionaire status and doing all of those cool things that many of us may have aspired to, to attain material success mm -hmm. is what I'm referring to and how he's transitioned and he's learned the hard lessons of life, which is, you know, you can have all the money in the world, but of course, that love, that belonging, that happiness, that joy, that contentment, um, and that just, that, that frequency, that energy that we all crave, and you can spot in other people if you have it yourself. If you don't have it, you're void of it. It's a vacuum. You, of course, can't appreciate what that really means. And I think the, you have to almost clear the desk. You have to clear the clutter out. So you can actually realize that beyond the clouds, there's a sun and it's wanting to come through. You've blocked it with all of the, the mess, the noise in your life. And so what I took away from this is a um, get in touch with this concept of the ego, because, you know, we, for the best, for, all of us are prone to tapping back into that scenario where David or Dave talked about how the, his daughter's car wasn't on the front door at 430 in the morning and flipping out, you know, losing the plot, as we say. And I think that that was a great lesson. And, you know, if I'm ever in that situation personally, again, I'll probably think about that story and say, calm, calm the heck down. I also think the other piece around just getting things done. I mean, that's, uh, I learned that lesson a long time ago in my life and I practice it and I have to just endorse that. Mm -hmm. Getting things done right now is the biggest liberator, not waiting for tomorrow, not saying I'm going to put it on an action list or a task list. And then it sort of goes into procrastination mode. Right. And even if you do end up in that situation, it's best to acknowledge and say, oh, shit, I'm procrastinating again. Hey, Rick, help me out, mate. And, you know, we have that sometimes as teams go right amongst ourselves. We're like, oh, my God, I haven't done that. Help me out. And you're great at this. You know, you follow through and you're excellent at follow up. And I think it's super important to do that in your personal and your professional life because you, you again, clean the desk. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy. Like keep the desk really clean, you know. Yeah, uh, that's important. And then the third one that. Um, I've taken away is this piece around meditation. And I think meditation is, uh, is fascinating. It's grossly misunderstood though. I do think mm -hmm. that because I think it's not about just closing your eyes and breathing for a little bit um, because you have meditation, then you have transcendental meditation, which is when you're really in touch with your third eye. And those who do practice that say, well, uh, -uh this is, well, I'm, you know, this is a whole different thing. It's almost like God forbid having DMT or something or ayahuasca and, channeling yourself into a whole new parallel and realm. But I do think that calming yourself down every morning, every evening, mm -hmm. whatever works for you, breathing, um, getting five minutes or 10 minutes of quiet time to reflect on the day away from the noise is super important, more so now than ever before for all of the audience that we have here mm -hmm. today. So those were my big takeaways. Rick, what about you? I'm going to bring in two additional ones. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. It was great unpacking. Um, one is around sleep. And I think I'm just getting this more and more as I get older and appreciate this. And whether you want to use the word mature, whatever word you want to use, but just how valuable sleep is. And that's still a place where 
I'll get up at like 4.30 in the morning for whatever reason, and then it's just hard to go back to sleep. Uh, and sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But just how much, how important that is to really replenish and recharge ourselves. And I like how he said that. It's a time where your ego is not active. Mm. It's a time where your ego gets to rest. Uh, you get to reset yourself and be fresh from that subconscious space. Uh, and whatever creativity it comes through in your dreams, your uh, visions, those kinds of things. And really taking advantage of that and allowing more space for how do I prepare for good sleep, not drinking alcohol and caffeine before I go to bed or eat too, too late at night, like all yeah. the best practices of how do I actually get great sleep and go to bed at a reasonable time, all those things. So that's something that I have been working on and still need to work more on is, is using that as a real support for myself. Mm. The, the other big takeaway is around uh, when, talks, when he talks about ego, David, is around, I like to think of it as like, what is my fuel source? Am I coming from my most clean fuel source that's connected to um, source, that's connected to myself, that's connected to that through line of, you know, that clean expression of who I am in the most powerful way? Um, and when I'm on that line, and then also when I'm 20 degrees off or even three degrees mm -hmm. off or whatever that is where I might be coming from scarcity. I might be coming from fear. I might be coming from overwhelm or stress. Um, and then I'm making decisions from that place or having conversations from that place or trying to make sales from that place or even dating from that place. Mm -hmm. I think this shows up in all parts of our life is what's the fuel source that we're coming from and is it clean? Mm -hmm. Is it polluted uh, from, from the baggage of the past? And I just wanted to anchor this a little more practical for the audience right now is how do you know when you're coming from ego? How do you know when you're coming from a cleaner fuel source? And I'd love to hear your, uh, what your sense is after you. For me, I notice that when I'm coming from some kind of scarcity or overwhelm, um, I can literally feel in my body, my heart quickens, things get more narrow and tight. Uh, I don't see the possibilities. I see like one way of locking into a situation like when David's talking about his daughter's car not being there, there was only one possibility in that moment. Like she's in trouble. She's doing something bad. She's partying too late, whatever it was. But there's not that openness of, oh, I lost my curiosity. What is happening? Huh. I wonder, let me, let me ask her. And so for me, that's a big indicator. If I'm coming from ego, it's very narrow. There's like one mm -hmm. p potential answer here. Um, I'm not even curious. I'm not open. I'm not asking questions. And for me, that's a huge place where I can feel, oh, am I taking a, am I even breathing? Am I slowing down? And from there, what feels true or what do I want to say from this place versus that hard charging, narrow focus? Oh, this is what it is. We need to fix this now. Mm. How about mm. for you? Like, what are ways that you can yeah. crack when you're coming it's from a more egoic? Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I would, um, if I, if I would put it the same way, because I think a narrow scope doesn't always mean that my ego is, has woken up. Sometimes it's situational. It's, mm -hmm. um, for example, you have uh, a bad one, a bad example, but I'll share it anyway. You have a project that you're working on. Let's imagine for a client mm -hmm. and it's going brilliantly well. And it's, 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 um, fantastic and you're loving it and you're content and you're like, this is amazing. And then there's a, there's a calamity, something goes wrong and it needs fixing. Right. And it's, it's a painful because if it's not fixed, it can derail everything. 
And at that point, I think you have to be a little bit adaptive. I think um, where you have to accept and understand that um, it's not about ego, but it's about getting something done at that point where you maybe you're not inquisitive, maybe you're not as diplomatic, mm -hmm. maybe you're not as sensitive to, hey, Rick, what do you think? Hey, Denise, what do you think? Hey, Rahul, what do you think? Like, because, you have to superhero the moment, right? Indeed, because you know, you know, if you're in a cliffhanger moment uh, situation, mm -hmm. the bus is about to, 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 to collapse and and fall, fall through the gap and you've got 200 passengers on board, that's not a point at which you have a debate and be inclusive. And right. in leadership, bringing this back to leadership, you have these moments of crises where you have to take a call and that right. decision you have to live with and get recognized for or get torn apart for. Mm. And I think um, that is not ego related. I think that's, that has to be, it's courage. About courage and it's about being very clear about what you need to do at that time to get the right outcome for the people you care about and actually i would argue that it's not about ego it's about it's actually anti-ego it's about mm -hmm. i gotta do this to help the wider population or do it for the for the the greater good uh, again it's context dependent you can put this in a really sinister context god forbid like dictators of the past um, but you can also put it in really um, meaningful um, situations where you're looking at a doctor or a medic trying to save a life. Yes. So I think I, I get where you're coming from, but I don't think ego is always um, the presence of ego doesn't mean um, um, it's narrow decision making. Or it's True. Narrow That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's just <laughs> one way that it shows up for me where I can tell, oh, I'm not coming from my most spacious self right now. I'm not even yeah. asking questions. That's one way that it shows up, but it's right. You're right. It's so complex in its different shapes and forms. Really quick, uh, Rahul asks, how is this related to intuition and faith? Yeah. Um, for me, it's super connected in that, and this is a great distinction I like, is a lot of times when I have an intuition about what feels right, how I know it's right is often when it's not my egoic preference. Like, oh, I'd rather not do that or have to have that conversation or have to invest over here or make time to do this, but it, and yet it feels right. And I can't deny that. That's to mm -hmm. me this amazing indicator of the difference between when I feel an intuitive moment of what needs to happen in the space or with the team or with my company or with each other in this moment versus what my ego preference might be is to hide or not have the conversation or avoid something. Mm -hmm. For me, that's a powerful distinction that can happen a lot. And then I have learned over time what really serves me is when I trust that intuitive wisdom that really wants to bring us closer to relationship in these different ways mm. and not avoid those moments. I, I, that's nicely put. I also think there's another piece around this over and above what you've just said, which is communication. Mm -hmm. I think if you free yourself from baggage and you feel, let's say I feel something at this moment and I want to share it with a partner or a, a colleague or whoever it may be, I think having the self-confidence and the self-belief and without malice, without an agenda, without, you know, the dollar sign on top of someone's head mm -hmm. and uh, anything that resembles that as well. I mean, you, you know, eject all of that, take all of that out of the equation. I think it's important to just speak your mind mm -hmm. and um, be respectful though, and be sensitive. This is where EQ comes in and compassion comes in where, you know, you might think you're doing the right thing, but you also still have to be a little bit more cognizant about the environment that you're in. Mm -hmm. I think I found communication to be, very powerful in triggering intuition 
Mm-hmm. I think intuition in an ivory tower mm-hmm. is, um, I, have, I don't know what that is. Maybe they're, they're, that's a sixth sense or whatever. I don't, I, I don't know if I, I buy into that. But I think when you're talking to people and you're cha- exchanging frequencies mm-hmm. and energies, your energy is kind of bouncing off one another. And then, for example, there are people you, could, you, you meet instantly, have a communication, brief communication with, and you just get along with them. Mm-hmm. right yep. and you could be from very diverse backgrounds and you just there's some sort of a soul connection right rick mm-hmm. and you're like something's going to happen here and then of course you meet the uh, the polar opposite is you meet someone you could and you you chat with them and you feel intuitively something's not right mm-hmm. but actually you know again we've grown up in a society where we've been looking at zeros and ones for a long time we've been taught linearity which is why we can't understand exponentiality. We don't see back to the conversation we were having on a few calls where businesses and executives and large companies actually cannot see beyond 12 months mm-hmm. or the next quarter. Right. And if they're really super enabled and in touch with their subconscious, they look five years out. But yep. beyond that, they're like, screw you, man, I'm not interested. And I think these, the, 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 the blockage, it's like a blockage in the, in the intuitive artery. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you know about this, you've written a whole book on it. I think we, we as people have to go out of our way to say, am I getting in touch with my intuitive self? Mm-hmm. What is blocking me? And if it's a job that's blocking you, mm-hmm. it's a relationship that's blocking you. It's an environment that's yeah. blocking you. Um, you've got to find a way of taking yourself out of that situation. I remember my dad used to say, I've posted this a few times. It's such a simple, it's such a simple message. He used to say, you, you're, you used to say af or he used to call me Aftab, of course, within the right pronunciation. You are the company you keep, son. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, right? And But actually, as I've grown up in my life, and I didn't appreciate it when I was young, I've started to realize that statement, as simple as it is, is way more important now in my life as I'm trying to discover, discover myself and do good for my family and my friends, especially when you're trying to detach yourself from the noise of capitalism and material success, mm-hmm. uh, even if COVID didn't happen. Right. I wonder if we would have even done this if COVID didn't happen, like set up straight right. to right. life. So, um, you know. Yes. Thank you for all that. On that note, we do need to wrap up. Yeah. Um, I want to thank you Af, for being my partner in crime in this amazing experience of straight talk live. Um, literally would not have started without you and your inspiration ditto. as well. Yeah. Ditto. Absolutely. Thank you. And then I also um, want to just introduce our next show next week. And so next week, here's what we're going to get into. We're gonna, we have two amazing guests who are two of the most passionate people I've met in, in my collective here, Tanya and Jojo, and I know them both personally. Um, we're going to be going deep into the future of the classroom and what are the questions we're not asking, the things we need to be thinking about. This is going to be great for all parents out there, everyone who's curious about the next generation of learning in whatever way that you are related to that or for yourself. Uh, but this is going to be the really influx of technology and um, you know what's happening in how to get the, be- the most out of learning and what we're finding out in research and science as well. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, please join us same time next, next week. And uh, thank you all for joining this amazing and inspiring conversation today about relationship capital. So go out and build some for- with yourself and then with others. Thank you all. Straight Talk Live. You. See you next week. Adios. Adios.